Hello, I'm Emma Rice, the Artistic Director of Wise Children, and you're listening to Wise Children's Lockdown. Our lockdown project is about us finding ways of staying close to each other. On this show, I call up an old friend, play some records, and most importantly, get to chat and reminisce. Come and join us for Tea and Biscuits. Hello and welcome to Wise Children's Lockdown Tea and Biscuits. This is our first episode and this is a chance for me to chat to some of my friends because I'm missing them all so much and I wanted the most biddable, wonderful, charming friend to start off the series which is Mr Mark Antolin. Welcome. Hello, thank you. (laughs) Hi there Mark. (laughs) What, What biscuit have you got? I have got a classic rich tea biscuit. What biscuit have you got? I've got a Welsh cake. Oh no, they're too stodgy. Uh, homemade though. Well, Katie there's a lot Owen. of time. Well, Katie Owen always brings a Welsh cake, and I have to say they stick to the mouth like no other substance. <laughs> but you've got to have it with a cup of tea. You have. So, um, where are you? I'm in my back garden. And where in is your Wales. garden? Wales. Paint me a picture. What can yeah. you see? Uh, well, I can see some trees. I can see the garden wall. And I can hear one or two cars passing because it's very quiet. Oh, and how is it going? How's your lockdown so far? I mean, it's all right. It's weird, isn't it? Because, I mean, we should be in Washington, D.C. right now. But um, I'm sitting in my garden in Port Albert, sort of slightly anxious about the future but I think everyone's in that position so there's nothing really we can do about it so I'm just trying to enjoy the sort of downtime as much as I can it's weird isn't it because all of us in theatre we're it's sort of we're hardwired to not consider it to be downtime we think of it as being out of work or available depending on whether you're feeling positive but this enforced downtime it's unlike any other moment yeah, and normally when you get this as an actor, you sort of you're looking for the next job or wondering what the next job is or looking for auditions and things. But obviously none of that is happening. So for the first time in twelve years, I'm sort of trying to take a break in this forced downtime. It's hard though, isn't it? It's really hard because you sort of think you should be using the time to be really productive, which I am doing. I am doing things, but then also I am just trying to have a rest as well, which is sort of well needed. Well. Yeah, and also theatre's a collaborative activity, isn't it? It's really hard to work by yourself when you're a theatre maker. Yeah, Yeah, and I've sort of had all these ideas of things I've wanted to make and write and sort of devise and workshop, but it's really hard sitting in front of a laptop doing that when I'm not used to doing it that way. You're a theatre animal. You shouldn't be in front of a laptop. No, I know. I need to have a silly hat on and dance around the room or something. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah, ain't that the truth? And um, before we get on to some music, right at the beginning, you said I should have been in Washington. And that it it caught me by surprise, actually, because I've almost forgotten what should have been happening. Are you are you marking time with where you should have been? Are you still thinking about that? A little bit. Yeah, because, yeah, I guess I am because I'm looking. I I don't know why I'm looking at my diary because there's nothing to look at my diary for. But you sort of see things that 
you should have been doing or like like I, I know that a few days ago I should have been go- going from New York to Washington DC and like opening nights and things you sort of etch those dates in your head for a bit and now there's no other dates to etch in your head for a long time so you sort of still got those potential plans or oh, plans that were happening in your head so my heart mark no um, sorry so i didn't the, do that <laughs> well that's all right it's what tea and biscuits for isn't it um exactly. so for those of you that don't know mark is in my beautiful show romantics anonymous which should have been um moving from la beverly hills to washington dc at this moment so and it didn't either so the heartbreaking well i i was opposite i cleared my diary i took everything out because i thought this is going to break my heart and I and I so I think I did something I did something a bit different to to try and reclaim this time as something a bit different. Anyway, yeah. I'm going to start talking about the past a bit because the future's too difficult. Um, yeah. Mark Antolin, I've just done a little bit of googling, and we met in 2016. And I have to say, I was a bit surprised at how recent it is. I feel like I've known you longer. That feels that is weird. 2016. I thought mm. it was a long time ago. I know. But then, yeah. But then I guess we've crammed a lot in four years haven't we we have um so i would like to talk a little bit about the first moment we met (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) so i'll give my context (laughs) um, you did have a mustache so i met mark when i was auditioning when i was working for knee high theater and i was auditioning for the Flying Lovers of Vitebsk, um, the show about Mark Chagall. And I was looking for my Mark Chagall and I wanted somebody who could sing and could move and could act and looked a little bit like Mark Chagall. So it was quite a tight brief, can I say? <laughs> I like the, the tight brief. <laughs> In fact, we could get onto that later because... <laughs> <laughs> I love a tight brief. He does, and you've sported some marvellous tight briefs in our relationship. Anyway, before we get on to Twelfth Night, <laughs> so I was oh. auditioning, and I'll never forget um, that day of auditions um, because I saw so many people. I saw so many people, and I feel... Um, I saw some amazing people. So if they happen to be listening, you were marvellous. But you were the first person through the door, Mark. And you just smashed it. I just fell, fell in love with you because casting is a bit like blind dating. You Somebody walks in and you see whether you like them. And you were just fantastic and funny and brilliant. And you sang a beautiful song. And I can remember thinking, oh, my God, he's my Mark Chagall. There he is. And then I had to see these poor other sort of 26 lovely chaps. And all through the day I was going, I want the first one. I want the first one. So that was what it was like from my point of view. What was it like from yours? Uh, yeah, sort of, it was, I built this audition up for such a long time because I'd known like two weeks before and, and I think it was, it was just after Christmas, the audition. So I had all of Christmas thinking about this audition. And I mean, I'd seen The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which you had directed. I think that must have been about eight years before that, maybe or something. That makes me about 65, um, I think. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe three years. <laughs> <laughs> Lock, lockdown feels like a really long time to me I know James <laughs> gone really me. Um, yeah but I mean I, I remember seeing that show and I was just bowled away by it and sort of all the theatrics involved in it and how you told the story through movement and song and dance and and I, so I'd waited to sort of audition for you for a very long time so this was really 
amazing when I got this audition through and and I remember going he spells Mark with a C I'm Mark with a C this is meant to be and and I just did so much work on what we had to do for the audition and I was so nervous because I knew I was the first one in. So you do those things where you wake up at like six o'clock in the morning and do a vocal warm up and go through the lines and then you arrive an hour early. And I remember it was one of those auditions where you had to sign yourself in so I could see the list of people that were going in. And, and I just remember going, oh, they're going to get it. Oh, they'll, they're good. They're brilliant. Oh, <laughs> they'll get it. They'll get it. And um, but I thought, right, just go in and smash the audition. And, and um, yeah, I just remember having such a laugh in the room. I sort of, I had that like dry mouth thing, do you know, where your, your lip sticks to your teeth a little bit at first. And I was like, oh, just shake it off, shake it off. And I just remember you sort of making me play around with one of the monologues and sort of be a bit silly, which I managed to do because that sort of comes naturally in a way. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I just remember having the best time. And then as I was leaving, I sort of, I had a little fanboy moment and I, I was like, oh my God, Emma, I just want to tell you, I saw your show about eight years ago, about three, three years ago. And um, <laughs> 50 years ago, I saw your show. Um, and I just remember, and I had like my little fanboy moment. As I was just about to leave the room, you said, oh, Mark, by the way, uh, like we've seen you sing and we've seen you, but, but can you dance? And I think I threw my bag on the floor and did like a really silly contemporary dance by the door. And, and as I left, I went, oh my God, why did I do that? That oh, it was going so well. And now in hindsight, the silly dance probably got the job. <laughs> you, you, you didn't put a foot wrong. Every bit of it was brilliant. And isn't it funny after all these years, I can remember it so clearly. And here we are, no. old friends years later. It's brilliant. Oh. Yeah, you're making me cry now. Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to continue that with your first record choice. Tell me about oh. it. Uh, so this is the song that I sang for my audition. Um, I think. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I haven't yeah. told you this. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so this is the uh, song I sang for my audition for Flying Lovers of the Tedsk. Because I remember you asking for a world song or something that was sort of not British um, and otherworldly. So I decided to sing um, a Welsh folk song, which is one of my favourite songs. And uh, this version is sung by Ryan Davis, who was a comedian and part of a double act in Wales called uh, Ryan and Ronnie. Um, and yeah, this is uh, called Mavanoi.
so beautiful the Welsh voice eh it's a special thing <laughs> it is and you've got it so I'm going <laughs> to fast forward um, to to that show Flying Lovers of the Tebs which was so special wasn't it yeah oh, I love it with all my heart and it was such a magic time making it and you and Audrey Brisson who made it with me and Ian Ross and James Gow. It was such a tiny show with so much art and so much history. Um, and it was um, written by Daniel Jameson. And there's a long story because actually um, Dan and I were together a long time ago and he wrote the show for us and we performed it. So this show's so deep in my DNA um, and it was so special to come back to it as a director and as an older person and watch it um, just flower with you and Audrey into much better life than it ever was when me and Dan did it. Um, but I wanted to play a little bit of the Tchaikovsky, the Tchaikovsky piano trio, which is woven throughout the piece. And um, we had it when me and Dan did it a, a lifetime ago in 1990 or something, it went through it. And we we loved it. We loved the feel of um, the Russian feel. Um, it's played by Jewish musicians. We felt that there was a whole load of history in this. And I'm going to play it because we're going to talk about the song, the way that the music evolved and your musicality in it. So let's have a little bit of Tchaikovsky. I don't think I can ever listen to that without wanting to cry. 
I haven't heard that version for a long time as well, and it's so grand and so beautiful, isn't it? Oh, it was such a special show. And um, talk, talk to me a little bit about the process and the form, because it was the first time we worked together. Yeah, so, I mean, it was the sort of first time I'd worked on a devised show like that as well, in sort of in my um, professional career. And um, I just remember loving every minute of it because we didn't realize we were ever rehearsing anything because it was just always sort of tasks and um, sort of devising sequences of movement based on a theme or learning a song based on a theme and, and sort of playing games essentially and making this show that we'd had this script to and slotting things in to make a show. And, and I remember sort of after the two weeks, we were like, oh, let's run it. And without realizing we had about 75% of the show. And, and I just remember going, how did that happen? Because it felt like we were just playing games and singing songs with people for, for a week and a half. And yeah, I mean, it was just, there was so much detail and research into it as well. And, and it, it, was, it makes it all the more special, I think, then when you put so much of yourself into it, which was really lovely. And I just had the, the best time. And I, I just sort of remember going, this is how I want to work for the rest of my career, really. My, my memory is sort of how intimate it was. It's, I think it was an amazing group of people and um, we had Etta Murphy um, working with, on the choreography with you and Audrey and the, the immediate intimacy that came from your musicality and your physicality. And then we were exploring all the different ways of representing painting. I mean, that's what I remember is just the electricity in the room. And like you say, we worked so fast. I mean, I like to mm. surprise people with how much work you're <laughs> quietly making, you know, you, without getting too intense about it. But we made it so fast, didn't we? Yeah, and I, I just, it, it was, it was just mad, and it was, it was such a, an intense process, but the most fun process as well. Um, I'm going to talk about there was one bit of it which I remember as being like one of the most sort of heady creative moments of my career and I think Dan realised that we were missing a sort of moment of love of mature love between Mark and Bella and at the same moment um, Ian Ross the composer was was trying to work through how Tchaikovsky was working into a, a more contemporary voice, his natural voice. And then Dan found this poem by Rachel Korn, which was actually written in Yiddish, which we got translated and we set it to music. And we've got a recording of you singing it. This will really set me off now. Um, and you'll hear Mark Antolin singing this song, No One Knows It, um, with Audrey Brisson singing. And you'll hear Ian Ross's music fusing into Tchaikovsky. And I honestly think this is one of the most beautiful sort of three minutes of theatre and music that I've ever made.
it's love and history and oh my god that's wonderful isn't it it's really wonderful I want to do it again yes well we got time (laughs) (laughs) could we do it virtually I could roll around as if I'm Bella (laughs) I reckon so (laughs) (laughs) sight nobody wants to see right moving on oh no not moving on um, your oh, no. second choice, you know what you're going oh, yeah. to use now. It's, so I, I have an expression in rehearsals where I say something strong but wrong, um, which is sort of rewarding a, go- a big idea that's actually a terrible idea. And I have some really bad ideas. So, Mark, would you like to describe this bad <laughs> idea that never made it onto stage? <laughs> so this was when I think we were, this is the first time we were about to do the show. It was, it was during our... Uh, just before we went into tech and um the show was sort of 90 minutes and and it was very intense and the ending was incredibly emotional and sad and and i, I remember you going i can't leave the audience going out sad after a show i really want to sort of give them something else to sort of send them on their way and sort of be in, in an uplifting mood rather than really sad and um so then we decided to look at what was number one in the charts in France when Marc Chagall died. And sort of, he sort of saw so many historical events in his life and he, la- he sort of lived for a very long time through very different periods of history. And we found out that the number one in France when he died was the Ghostbusters theme. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, oh, Okay, well, there's nothing in that, is there? And Emma went, no, 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 that's perfect. Because, you know, it's fun and people all know it. And, and you know, it just shows what sort of, how much Mark Chagall lived through. So I was like, are you crazy? And you were deadly serious. And <laughs> I remember we were all giving side eyes to each other around the table going, this, this can't be serious. And I was waiting for you to laugh and go, no, I'm only joking. But no, you were deadly serious. And you even said to Ian Ross, um, can you come up with a klezmer version of the Ghostbusters theme song? And I was just like, this is crazy. And we did try it, I think. And uh, we there was even one point when we were sort of going, who are you going to call? Mark Shagal. <laughs> we were like, this is just like, this is not going to work. And I think it was like one of the the only times where I've kind of gone, Emma, I, I don't think you're right on this decision. I think we, we should sing something else. Oh, but it was, and, it, you yeah. know, those, those ideas, you sometimes have to go with them because if they work, they're brilliant, but it was awful. And the bit of context yeah. was is we had played the song from 1946, I think it was, which was number one when Bella Chagall died. And I thought it'd be fun to show how long, because it was 1989 when Mark Chagall died. I thought it would be great to show what a long life he'd had, but it was a terrible idea it did happen Oof. I think we did rehearse a klezmer version um, but in honour of strong but wrong well who are we going to call Ghostbusters Ghostbusters <laughs> Oh, okay. 
Oh my word! And we did try it. (laughs) Oh, what a terrible lapse of judgment! Oh, I don't. (laughs) Um, I'm going to skip Twelfth Night because I'm going to come to that at the end. But talk to me a little bit about Romantic Synonymous and playing Jean Rene, which is the show you should be doing at this very minute. Um, Yeah. So I mean, when we first did this show, um, it was sort of a it sort of crept up on us all and and we had this sort of really short run in the Sam Wanamaker Playhouse um, and I, there was so much love in the show and, and I remember it was it was sort of a really funny time in, in the world and we just made this lovely beautiful show that everyone who saw it fell in love with it and everyone who didn't see it was sort of like oh my god I'm so sad I missed that show um, please bring it black uh, please bring it I can't speak. Please bring it back. Um, and two years later, we we brought it back, and and yeah, we, we should be doing it now. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's one of my favourite shows, and 
I know everyone who's seen it says the same thing. I, I, I'm so a bit taken aback. I've gone quiet because you said it, that everything was going weird in the world, and it was. I often forget that that it was 2018. It was the last yeah. show I made at the Globe. We were in the wake of Brexit, weren't we? Yeah. There'd been the um, the terrorist attacks on London Bridge, the first, the Borough Market. There was, it felt like the world was really unstable. And personally, it had been such a um, difficult time for me. And I can remember at the time of deciding to do Romantics Anonymous, thinking, oh, there's kind of only two routes here, which is upset. <laughs> And uh, which is the route to anger and bitterness, which was something I really didn't want in my life, or sort of love. And I can remember thinking, come on, Emma, just do something that's so full of love that you sort of defy the odds. And we did, didn't we? That's my memory of it, is it really was a bubble. And it was just the, it was such a joy coming into work, sort of, for that whole time that we were doing the show. And, um, yeah, it was it was a really magical show with a lovely group of people, and and I'm so glad that we did bring bring it back, and um, hopefully we will get to do that again because oh, it's sort I of can't, injustice. I can't even tolerate the idea that it's not going to have another life. It can't. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm mad and holding on to some life that's passed, but it can't. We've got to be able to tell uh, stories and share. Yeah, love. Uh, and I think it's the the. Something. Say that again. I lost you for I a think bit. It, oh, that's okay. Um, I think this is the, the perfect show that people will need after something like this, where you just get to go and have fun uh, in a theatre for two and a half-ish hours. Yeah. I love the mixture of... Um, it's kind of cool and French, isn't it? It's got a bit of sort of Juliette Binoche about it. It's sort of really cool, yeah. um, but it's really British as well. It's got Victoria Wood in there. It's got it's got dinner ladies as well as chocolate, and it just hits oh. all the buttons. It's so magical. Yeah, and I, you know, it's it's sort of it. There's something so incredibly human about it, and there's something we all see in us ourselves in that show. Um, even though the characters may be slightly heightened, they're they're so truthful to themselves and um, it's it's just very hopeful for the future of that show and yeah, it it, it makes me happy inside. <laughs> Here's you <laughs> singing If She Loved Me. Let's see. I'm somewhat reserved. I can't tell you why You say emotif Well, I'm shy I'm not good with words I'm just not equipped Perhaps I'm afraid And so I stay tight-lipped But I could be something to see If she in matters of love I'm sure you all know Well, I'm burning up I can't let it show This woman I found So gifted and smart And I want to try To open 
open up my heart, oh, what a romantic I'd be if she loved me. I'm not a man who women feel secure about. I'm not intuitive or clever. But if there's one thing that I'm sure about, it's that we could make chocolate forever. And so, Angelique, if I may reveal, for you, I will try to face these things I feel. Yes. What a romantic I'll be If you Love Me On Skype, oh. Mark's taking a little round of applause, which is <laughs> taking a bow. Oh, God, I'm sure oh. you will be soon, please. Hopefully, beautiful. yeah. Right. Oh, now, that's such a lovely It's beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> I can't bear it. Right, I'm going to cheer us up now by thinking about Twelfth Night. And, and my tight pants, my tight briefs. <laughs> Um, Mark played my Sir Andrew Aguecheek in Twelfth Night, which was my final Shakespeare at the Globe. When I say final, that made it sound like there was loads out of two. My second and final Shakespeare. <laughs> um, I would like you to describe your costume and your look, please. Um, so we set it in 1979. That is right, isn't it? I want to say... 1979. Uh, why do I want to say 1971? No, no, no. It was definitely the 70s, wasn't it? 79. Let's go for 79. <laughs> I'll do that again. Um, yes, yeah, so we, we set the show in 1979. <laughs> so, um, I, and, and because I, I was sort of um, not from Scotland, I'd come up the weekend on a golfing trip. I had these incredibly tight, outrageous flares and a pink argyle knit sweater um and then at some point changed into a very short kilt version of my flares with like tiny tiny <laughs> it was like clueless or something wasn't it, <laughs> it was. japanese schoolgirl kilt <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um at some point that came off and i just ended up in these very tiny tiny pink pants given to me by Les Brotherston. <laughs> Doing disco dancing. I don't even Doing remember when the kilt came off. I don't remember. I just, but I will never, the, the buttocks are emblazoned <laughs> on my memory. It, it, it was a big reveal from the, the sleeping bags that we used <laughs> <Yes>. as trees. <laughs> and then we just stepped out of them with no trousers on. Because <laughs> why not? And well, then, it's broad comedy, isn't it? You know, you need to... And it works so well at the Globe it, because it's a, you know, it's a bawdy space and it really, bawdy humour just works. Completely. And, and I just remember the, the whole process of that because the clowns are so hard in, in Shakespeare and sort of once someone had seen you doing it once, it wasn't funny anymore. So 
a lot of that process was me panicking going oh this doesn't work no one's getting it and I just remember my first entrance I slid down the banister and got stuck and 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 I just remember the first time we did that in front of an audience and there was sort of a really big laugh and I just remember going oh, okay this does work and then spending the whole time trying to work out what the audience were getting from it and we just had we had on stage the best time but also because the audience is so much a part of that show they were just having the best time and one of my favorite theater moments actually was when I think it was London Pride and we did this finale number with semaphore flags and I remember the week before um we sort of went oh what if we did rainbow flags <laughs> next week on on the matinee performance and and it was it was really emotional because it was only a slight change like we didn't make a big point of it we just did this finale number with with rainbow flags instead of white flags and you could just really see the the people that that meant something to in the audience and and it was a really brilliant moment of just sort of acknowledging the outside world and sort of allowing them in for that afternoon oh I was so but, proud of that moment it was nothing to do with me it was the company decided to do it but I I love the globe with all my heart and always will because it's so democratic anybody can walk in for five pounds and they you don't stand up in the pouring rain or the glaring sun unless you want to have a good time so the the human energy that's held in that theatre is so strong and then like you say the plays Damn it, they work. They really work. The, the, the clowns have to be really funny. They're the hardest thing to rehearse. But the, the audience just drink it up and the tragedy needs to be really true. But what I feel is that Shakespeare has to be of today. And that's what you did on that, that Pride Day is you made it today in London on the banks of the Thames. And it was so joyful and so profound. It was just brilliant. Um, so... I'm going to say before we play our last um, song, thank you, Mark Antolin, for being the best friend and the most amazing collaborator. You're so creative. You're an absolute dream to have in the rehearsal room and you infect everybody else with your positivity and your genius ideas and, and your wonderful creative spirit. You do the best pratfalls. You're the funniest person <laughs> to wear pink knickers and I treasure you very highly and I can't wait for your Jean René to be shared with the world. Thank you for having tea and biscuits with me. Oh, I love you. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's, it's wonderful and I love working with you. you you've changed my life. <laughs> my tea's gone cold now as my heart bubbles over with the warm, sweet love. <laughs> so this is what Mark was talking about. This is the end of Twelfth Night. We played We Are Family because we are...
you'd like to share on tea and biscuits leave us a message on our phone line 0117 318 3846 that's 0117 318 3846 keep checking our social media for details of our next show tea and biscuits is part of wise children's lockdown thanks for hanging out with us bye <laughs>